after watching what those two guys put on film, too bad. You, you reap what you sow. And I and I don't wish ill on these guys. I hope they I hope they turn around because they're talented dudes. I hope someone else picks them up next season and they can right the wrong. But you put you put that effort on film, too bad. Deal with it. You get cut. It's part of the deal. Hey everybody, he's Davis Sanchez, I'm James Sabalski. Welcome to an all-new edition of The Waggle. Coming up, conversations with Bombers quarterback Matt Nichols, Bombers head coach Mike O'Shea. It's a good time to be a Bombers fan these days, wouldn't you say, Winnipeg? Uh, we'll also get to our weekly CFL pickums. but first, Davis, here's what's poppin'. The big topic, and you know what, we gotta thank, before we get going here, Right out of the gate, let's thank the Montreal Alouettes for all the content that they have provided for both Davis and I this season and everybody that follows the CFL all season long. It's been a whole lot of soap opera and it continued with our lead story, Duran is gone. Davis, Duran Carter cut by the Owls along with his cousin Kenny Stafford following their latest setback loss in Calgary. Uh, neither eligible for the postseason and they can't play until next year. And because both players were had less than four years' experience in the CFL, their contracts aren't guaranteed. So they're actually going to have three games worth of their salary for this season uh, removed. And Deron Carter was a sizable contract, making uh, a quarter of a million dollars uh, by various reports, the highest paid receiver in the Canadian Football League. Davis, you were in Calgary last weekend to see it all unfold, the effort that probably sparked the decision to terminate both Kenny Stafford and Ron Carter with the Alouettes. Your thoughts first and foremost. Yeah, it was uh, it was upsetting to see, uh, to say the least. Uh, you know, I, I used um, a lack of effort as a description. Um, I used a despicable uh, as, as a word, and, and, and it's I know it's it's. Uh, Watching these guys, this game meant a whole lot to this to this team, this organization. Obviously, it has not been a good year for them. But like we we've talked about in previous episodes, they still had a chance to to make the playoffs, and, and they still do. And, yeah, that's yeah. crazy. Yeah, well, that's a little little tougher now, but but they 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 have a chance and had a chance, uh, a legitimate shot at at making the playoffs, and and there was just a lack of effort from from those receivers. Um, and when I saw other guys on that on that team, uh, is, you know, especially veteran guys in the defense, you know, Bear Woods and, and uh, Chip Cox, Winston Venables, flying around. I like their their defensive Kyrie effort. Bear, yeah. Jerome Messam tweeted out after the game, "This Montreal defense is the best defense we've played all year." Now we're talking about a team that's gone through it on uh, this Montreal team, mm-hmm. and for for Messam to to. To, to say that about this team at this point in time, it just shows that those guys did not quit. Um, they fl- they were flying around, and I'm not saying the offense quit, but these guys in particular, um, Duran, uh, Kenny Stafford, their effort was lackluster. Um, I watched them. I, like you said, I was I was calling the game for TSN Radio and watching them break the huddle and and uh, watching them jog around the field, walk around the field in a game that meant so much to the organization, to the team. It was disheartening, and uh, hopefully uh, they'll learn from this. And, and uh, you know, Duran was was interviewed after I listened to him after and uh, yesterday, and after he'd been known he'd been released, and, mm-hmm. and his comments, which 
uh, you know, kind of were disappointed me. He said that, uh, you know, I'm going to move forward and, uh, you know, to ask him what happened here and why he got released. And he, he said it had nothing to do with his attitude. Uh, that Jacques Chapdelaine told him that uh, he liked the interaction they had. Um, and that in Duran's quote was, I'm going to move forward and I'm not going to think about the past. And I'm going to move forward and worry about what's going to happen in the future. And that, in most cases, is, is a good thing to say. In this case, I was extremely disappointed with that comment because, you know, Duran, if you're if you keep on, um, you know, being released from teams, transferred from teams, getting suspended, all these things. If you look at the history, I'm all for second chances. I, I, I got second chances. Mm-hmm. I got third chances. And I, I learned from those things. And, and Duran, to me, um, you know, a comment like that. No, Duran, don't move on and move to the future and, and, and don't look back. Look back. And figure out what it is that you're doing that's putting you in these situations because you're a heck of a player, probably the most talented player in the league and and probably the best wide receiver in this league. So why is it? And you're NFL talent. So why is it that you can't stick anywhere and you're a problem everywhere? At the end of the day, when it keeps on happening, you got to realize it's you. You're the problem when it keeps on happening. And do something to fix it. Because, you know, James, what's your experience with talking to guys around the league? you talked to a lot of guys about Duran. What, what, what do you hear about, about Deron Carter? Everything I hear about Deron Carter is that he's a good guy. He's a fun guy. Yes. He's a talented guy. And he's probably a little immature. No but everybody likes him. Yeah, no, yes. they, all, they all seem to like him. And that's, and that's the issue. So he's a good guy, but a bad teammate? Yes. Can it, you be... Now, now, explain this to me. Take me into the room here for a second. Because from your standpoint, because... I don't know, and, and I, I want to get in, I'll get into my, my perspective here for a second because I, I think there's a little bit of Duran being made to be a scapegoat here in Montreal all of a sudden, but I'll touch on that for a second. But take me into the room here for a second. Can you be a good guy and a bad teammate? No question. The, you've seen, you've experienced it with... The two, the, two, the two do not go hand in hand. I mean, it's not... You can, uh, there's so lots of great guys. Be, you can't be just a bad guy and a bad teammate. No, you can be a good guy, but a bad teammate. 100%. And, and Duran's a perfect example. Like you said, my interaction with Duran, we've interacted with Duran. I've had nothing but good vibes with Duran. And, and, I had great conversations with And I talked to, I talk year, to yeah. guys who I really respect, and, and, uh, and they all also say good things about Duran. But, when, but when, you, when you do the things he's doing, the preparation standpoint, um, you know, the, the, the on-the-field antics, these type of things are the problems, and, and it, being a good teammate is is being uh, understanding to what's going on in the environment, and that's that's preparing, that's putting the effort in uh, on the field. That's when things aren't going well. That shows the medal of the man. When things aren't going well, how do you respond? Do you make it about yourself? Do you throw your helmet? Do you yell at the quarterback? Do you show up late for meetings, or do you say, "Hey, we're gonna we're gonna be all right. We're gonna be all right. Let's let's get in extra early tomorrow." And let's let's have a let's do a walkthrough at the hotel. Let's let's do an extra study session um, and go through some of this def- Calgary defense, you know. And he might be doing that. I don't I don't, I don't know. I'm not inside the locker room, but I saw his body language. I saw his I saw him walking around the field. There were times, James, and this is what really got me. There was about five six minutes left in the game. Uh, Montreal's down two scores, and they went for it on third down and didn't get it. Mm-hmm. Kenny Stafford was over. By the Calgary sideline, which is across the field, and was laughing and slapping hands, high five, and are laughing with the Calgary guys. The uh, the defense now, Montreal's defense has now come onto the field after turning the ball over on downs in a in a 
game that may decide your playoff lives, and there's still six minutes left, five minutes left. Montreal's offense had come onto the field, and Kenny Stafford is still on the Calgary, near the Calgary sideline, kind of laughing and high-fiving with the guys over there, and then t- proceeds to turn around and walk back across the field. He walked about halfway across the field while the offense was already, uh, the defense was already on the field. He's walking off the field. I mean, that just, such disrespect for the guys who are, you know, you know, blood and guts and flying around. Guys like Kyrie Bear, who was, like, selling out, flying around everywhere. That, to me, just shows, like, he wasn't taking it seriously. Deron Carter broke the huddle for the whole second half and walked out to the line of scrimmage. Now, we talked about this in Facebook yesterday. And, and, and when, you, when you break the huddle as a wide receiver, people say, well, who cares if he walks out? If he's get, once the route starts, if he runs, that's all that matters. Mm-hmm. No, that's not what matters. You need to get lined up. Because he, he was lining up, and as the ball was snapped, as the ball was getting, Cato was ready to snap the ball, he was finally turning around and, and, and getting ready to go. Well, that tells me he's not getting a pre-snap read. So if you want, if you want to take a look at Calgary's defense, see where the, see if there's a high safety, see if the corners rolled up on the backside, see what the linebackers, if the linebackers are, are out wide or are they in the box. Try to figure, try to get a pre-snap read and, and figure out what what defense they might be playing and, and get an advantage. Pre-snap is a is a huge part of the football, and he wasn't getting a pre-snap read because he was walking into the huddle and walking back out the huddle. Mm-hmm. I mean, I just, I mean, to me, watching this, and if he did it once, fine, twice, fine. But it was, I can honestly say, I would say 80% of the second half, and I'm not exaggerating, I'd like to say 95%, but just to be just to be fair, 80% of the second half, he walked out of the huddle, and when the play was over, he walked, he would run a route towards the end zone, and he would walk back. Mm-hmm. And when the game is this important, and it means so much for this organization who is struggling, who would love to make the playoffs and, you know, salvage what's going on for Mr. Wettenall, who has put his hard-earned money into this organization the fans who have supported this team over the years and and jim pop who's you know just for all the guys veterans like bowman and cox who've been around for you know 11 10 years to to do that and to not put the effort in it, it, it broke my heart and it was frustrating and uh i'm not surprised i said it there in the broadcast booth and i'm not surprised they got released because they watched the film jock shop delane um definitely uh and jim pop saw the same things and you cannot have that uh, the rest of the guys would not respect you if you let that effort uh, stay in the locker room. No, I, and look, hey, I'm, I'm, nobody's going to condone quitting. I mean, I think in anybody, if you're at home and depending on what you do in your job, you know, somebody in the office, a coworker, or, or wherever it may be, on location, whatever it might be, nobody wants somebody to quit or phone in an effort when, when there's a whole group of people relying on you. So I'm not going to condone that. But here's my issue. With the Montreal Alouettes organization, there were clearly breadcrumbs if you want to follow the trend that Deron Carter, you know, brings yep. a little controversy and brings a little drama to the fold. Yep. You know, we can go to the Rick, the Rick Campbell situation. You know, we can go to the altercation that he had with Rakeem Cato at practice about yep. six weeks ago. Like, there's been issues. And one of the things that got thrown out in that heat of the moment that Rakeem Cato was yelling at at the time was that you always allow him to get away with this stuff, right? Enabling. (laughs) Yes. And Jim Pop has to assume responsibility. And to me, this is where I feel like it's a little bit of BS on Montreal's part. Look, nobody wants to condone a quitter, okay? I I get that. And if you want to eliminate that, if it's a problem in the locker room, then okay, deal with it. I get that part. But from a business standpoint... 
You enabled it as the head coach and the general manager of this football team, paying him a big salary and allowing him to play beyond the rules within the team, obviously, because it was never an issue up until this point when all of a sudden, with three games to go and reports now surfacing that the Montreal Alouettes are $300,000 over the salary cap, then they might face some significant ramifications in terms of a punishment for this. All of a sudden, now is the time to turn the page on Deron Carter and they can save some money by not having to pay him for the final three games of the regular season, along with Kenny Stafford, who was another significant salary. And that, to me, where it's like all of a sudden, hey, you know what? Well, Deron's already been painted as a villain in the Canadian Football League. You know what? It's a lot easier to make him look like the bad guy and we're saving face. Look, it looks a lot like Jacques Chapdelaine's going to be the coach next year based on this decision. I don't know what the future is going to be for Jim Pop going yeah, forward. I wouldn't, but, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't say that, but, that that fast. But, you know, and, and again, okay, and, and you not know what? Not, fairness, not that he's not. No, no. I don't think this decision, yeah. people are saying that yeah. this decision has shows that he's going to be the coach. I don't yeah. think it has but, anything and, to do and, with and, well, and I'll and, tell you and, why, and, because and, of the salary cap. Yeah, exactly. You know what? And, right. and I was just going to say to that right. point that that probably speaks volumes to it. So, uh, you know, that to me is where... Montreal looks a, a little hypocritical. No, not just a little hypocritical, very hypocritical because they allowed him to act this way all season long where it was clearly a problem. Yeah. And then it gets to a point where now we've got some salary cap. That's garbage to me. I and agree. I, it's, I it's making that, Duran look like a, a, a more of a villain than he is. You no, knew I there dis- were issues. I disagree with that. There were, there were issues that. obviously this year. It, James, it's... Well, because he because he phoned because he phoned in. You're going to tell me that other teams and I understand what you're saying from a defensive standpoint. That's a really good Montreal defense. But all season long, we knew that this Montreal offense wasn't good enough. There were questions surrounding quarterback play, which has been the same issue for the last three years since Anthony Calvillo retired, and it's been a problem this year one more time. Yep. And the offensive line wasn't good enough, and it was all reflective, all encompassing. And look. Deron Carter may not be the best teammate within the room and and obviously has some maturing to do. I don't think anybody disputes that. But for Montreal, all of a sudden to say, "Eh, well, we're going to shed some salary. So it looks like they're addressing, it looks like they're addressing a disciplinary problem where it looks to me more like they might be just simply covering their A-double crooked letter from a business standpoint. It's both. But but yes, you know what? You make great points. You make great points. And and it's, you're right. You are exactly right. They're covering their... Their butt from a business standpoint, and they're saying they're saying, look, this guy, look, it's it's also it's counterintuitive moving forward with this with this guy if he's not going to be there next season. Mm-hmm. You have these young guys, you're stunting the progress of Raheem Cato, of Vernon Adams, uh, who whoever it may be, you're stunting the progress of these guys if if you've decided that Deron Carter and Kenny Stafford aren't going to be there next year, aren't buying in, and aren't the kind of guys that you want representing your team, then. It's counterintuitive to have them on on the roster now moving forward for these last few weeks. The point, James, that you make that I think that I agree with is the reason they're doing it now is they could have done it eight weeks ago. They they knew the exact same thing. But so what? It's a smart bailout plan. If you know that this guy's not going to be there and you and and he's and he's not helping your football team and he's making it worse in the locker room mm-hmm. and you have salary cap issues it's a business let's okay. not be foolish okay. 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 let me finish okay. please it's okay. a business let me finish finish this part it's a business you're over the cap now you save 3 games of game checks for Deron Carter and Kenny Stafford who both make good salaries mm-hmm. Deron's very high now you take that number off your cap number 
and you get rid of a problem that's 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 only getting worse and not helping these young guys in the room. So it's it's a win win. It's a business. Don't be don't be sensitive. It is what it is. Okay, so you're a free agent and you're still a player, mm-hmm. and it's this winter and you're a free agent player and you can go anywhere you want and you get a phone call from the Montreal Alouettes and based to see on how they operate as a business, are you signing there? What what are they doing business wise that you that you don't that did you away don't, with your salary? Would, they they, you they cut a, they cut a guy so he wouldn't get paid. I'm just, I'm just, I'm just saying. I don't care about pain. Are you gonna, are you gonna say as, as a players, from a player standpoint, you don't think that that gets around amongst the players? I mean, hey, you were a player. Yeah. I mean, I'm sure you, you know. I've been, and, and, I, and I, I'm sure and guy, I, and I'm sure teams had reputations about ones that were that 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 kept you well fed, and then teams that, you know, scraped by or and nickel and dime or did stuff that was you can you can you can you can treat it yeah, but you can treat it you can treat it as a bit you know in one breath yeah okay it's a it's a smart business decision. To me, it's also a little greasy. Okay, so how about that? You don't think I'll, it's I'll a little you, greasy at I'll all? I'll tell you, you know what would be greasy? It'd what? Be, it would be greasy if Winston Venables or or uh, John Bowman or one of these guys who we watched, or Bear Woods, who we watched on film flying around, giving up their body, coming in early for workouts, uh, studying extra film, and doing everything they can to get this team in the playoffs. If you did that to them after what they showed on film the night before... Damn right. So I'll be a pissed off player and I'll be a pissed off dude in that locker room. But after watching with those two guys put on film, too bad. You, you reap what you sow. And I, and I don't wish ill on these guys. I hope they, I hope they turn around because they're talented dudes. I hope someone else picks them up next season and they can right the wrong. But you put, you put that effort on film, too bad. Deal with it. You get cut. It's part of the deal. And no, no sympathy for the fact that they can't go sign with anybody else before the end of the season? It's the rules. It's past, it's past the trade deadline. It's past the trade deadline. No sympathy. It's a business. It's a, a sympathy in that regard. I do understand that 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 it's kind of a little bit of a loophole. That it's, it's unfair that they they should be guaranteed their money if they can't go anywhere else. They should be guaranteed. I would I would agree with that. That, part that part. But that's not the rule in the in the bargaining mm-hmm. agreement. So so that the Alouettes are doing what what they do from a business standpoint. Yeah. And you know what? Don't no. They're not. I'll tell you what. Teams would not cut a guy that that they loved and that was a hardworking guy in week. 18 and do that to him if, if they weren't doing showing what these guys if he was a character there. guy yes if he's a character guy okay. and, a, and a glue guy they wouldn't do that to him all right all right spirited discussion let's move on to the second issue uh let's move over to the bc lines let's go to the west side here and closer to home for for you and i as we're based here in vancouver uh the lions things have not been right since they came back from their bye week four weeks ago the Lions have lost three of their last four games. And I'll tell you what, Vancouver is known for some a tough luck town in sports. I mean, if you think about it, I mean, this is a team that's had two Game 7 losses in Stanley Cup Finals. Uh, they've had goals from center ice costing them playoff series. They struggled to win the lottery in draft lotteries. Uh, the Whitecaps have flopped this year. And now the one lone bright spot in Vancouver sports, the Lions... Totally blew it. A 10-point lead with three minutes to go last week. They turned the ball over twice. And as a result, the Bombers take both legs of the home-and-home series. And in all likelihood, the Lions have now conceded second place in the division. And in all likelihood, a home playoff date, which would have generated a lot of revenue for a team that's had a tough time finding fans at the turnstiles this year. And that's lost revenue. They've lost three of four, as I mentioned. Uh, where to start? And for me, Davis, it looks to me in two areas. First off, it's their game breaker, Chris Rainey. 
And I think, unfortunately, he's been so good this year, but he's wearing the goat horns on this the last two weeks. In this series against the Winnipeg Blue Bombers, you know, he had the bad run judgment call late in the game and got stopped by Mo Leggett, who was hurt, who didn't even play last week, and comes up with the stop in Winnipeg, where he was trying to run to the outside instead of going in for a gimme on the inside. And then last week, with two and a half minutes to go, he fumbles the football, the Bombers get the ball back, they kill the clock, and win the game. Chris Rainey wearing the gold horns back-to-back -back weeks, and Jonathan Jennings, you know... We are we are two strong supporters and members of Definitely. the Jonathan Jennings fan club. But, you know, you live by the sword, you die by the sword. And there was a reason why the Winnipeg Blue Bombers were quietly salivating for this matchup against the Bombers. And I think it was some of the, the tendencies that Jonathan Jennings brings. Yeah, like you say, he keeps keeps on throwing up those jump balls uh, that we all love and the aggressiveness. I remember yeah. the first game. And a good this, receiving core that helps oh, him out yes, too, right? Yeah, I mean, top to bottom, arguably the best. And especially jump balls. I mean, you got Burnham and, Burnham and, uh, Manny. and Manny can go up and get it with the best of and them. And now so, you got Terrell Singfield yeah, in the fold. Yeah, so I mean, you're going to, uh, you know, the one thing. So we talked about this and he did it. He's done it. He did the Calgary game, which cost him in overtime. He's thrown lots of balls up for grabs, and then his receivers have made plays. And But if you continue to do this, um, obviously your luck's going to run out at, at some time. The situation in the game is what is what frustrates me if I'm Kahari Jones or Wally Buono uh, with Jonathan Jennings. It's not the fact that he's a gunslinger. And I, I praised him last week on the show uh, uh, talking about – actually talking about Kahari and the fact that he threw a 45-yard out route to the field um, – up seven points. Yeah. Up seven points with two minutes left in, in the, the game, game against Ottawa. Yeah. I was like, wow, like that, the guts. And we talked about it mm -hmm. on the show that the, the guts he has to make that throw. Um, guys don't make that throw, you know, and for a rookie to make their second year guy to make that make that throw is, is gutsy. And for his his uh, his coordinator to allow that is, is gutsy. But it, it shows, you know, the gunslinger mentality he has, which came back to bite him in the butt right now. If you look at that, that call, they come out, there's three minutes left in the game. Or two minutes and fifty seconds. Why um, are you throwing? Like, why are you chucking? Exactly. You know, they're uh, they're down by they're up by seven. The situation, and then they came out with two backs in this situation. So they when they when they came on the field, they came in with Roy Lombala uh, and and uh, Jeremiah Johnson. So they come out with two backs. It looks like a run play. Rolling now, rolling now. Pre slap, pre snap motions out of the backfield uh, to the short side of the field, and there's the linebacker does not adjust out. So if you watch this, I'm watching this, and I, I can read defenses, and, and Jonathan can read them better than I can. So I know that when 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 Roly adjusts out and a linebacker doesn't rotate with him, that's to go cover Roy Lombala, that tells me it should be the wheelbacker on the short side that motions out to cover him. When he doesn't go out to cover him, that tells me they're in zone defense. And if, if I know that, Jonathan knows that. Trust you, me. So he knows pre-snap they're in zone. When he snaps the ball and drops back, he's got to know that Roley runs a little out route. The corner now, who is covering Sean Gore, comes off of that, off Roley's out route. It comes down to breaks on Roley's out route. And Jonathan, at this point in time, looks like he thinks that Sean Gore is running all alone down the sideline. Mm -hmm. Well, Kevin Fogg is the high halfback, and if they're playing zone, he's a high zone player. He's sitting there waiting for it, and Jonathan throws it right into his hands. The only there's no way at this point in time as smart of a, of a football player as Jonathan is. He's young, but he's 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 a very smart. astute kid. As smart as he is, he knows he know he's not throwing that up for a jump ball. Mm -hmm. He's not. I'm certain that when he saw when Roley 
when Roley ran the out route and the corner who was in front of Sean Gore at the time, when the corner came off on Roley's out route, he assumed that the corner broke broke coverage. He thought he thought the Gore was running free, and he, for some reason, I, I, I don't understand why, but he did not see Kevin Fogg sitting over top waiting for that football, and that cost, that cost them a home playoff game uh, like we talked about, James. It cost more than that, or a part of that, it cost this this franchise and this and it's not all on him. There's lots of plays that did it, uh, so we're not pinning this all on Jonathan, obviously. But this is the play that that you know that seems to that we seem to remember because it was at the end. But this loss in general, let's say, to be fair, this loss cost what we talk about momentum for this city, in 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 the, for the Lions to get a home playoff game, or you know, for, it went from the talk shows went from saying how much they love the Lions this year and and. And the and the, and the, the gates haven't shown that because that's just the fans here have not been great. No. But this is a team you want to watch. So you they're can, fun. They are great. I love. They've got a they got a great product on the field, and you you got defensive stars and Big Hill and Elamimian and and obviously offensively. I mean, where do you start? I mean, Rainey and Jennings and they're Manny and probably and the Burnham. funnest team in the league to watch. Yeah, probably the most entertaining. So what does that do? So now, James, what does that do? What what have you noticed then? How do you feel about the in the talk shows around town and and in the fan base? What this what this loss has has done in 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 to that? Well, it's the old cliche. It's not how you start; it's how you finish, right? And and I think, unfortunately, at the start of the season, hey, look, those wins that in the, early in the season are just as important as they are late in the year. The difference being is all that goodwill and momentum that, unfortunately, for a lot of people, and you know, it's the same way in baseball. You know, a lot of people, if you're a baseball fan or, or a casual baseball fan, it's you know, talk to me after the All Star break and let's see where everybody's at, and then I'll start tuning in. And I think, you know, from a CFL standpoint, a lot of people are of the mindset, okay, well, talk to me after Labor Day. Well, the Lions were in a great position after Labor Day, and then all of a sudden, over the last month, they've lost three of their last four. And they've completely shot themselves in the foot. And for a team that's probably having a hard time generating fans, and, and I don't think there's any, you know, watch the broadcasts. I mean, there's a lot of orange seats in that BC Place Stadium that are that are vacant right now. And you had an opportunity to bounce back by picking up a huge home playoff date. And keep momentum and in this city going into the playoffs. And yes. going in, and you've completely... Yes evaporated all that and that's huge where this team like you know what you touched on this a few weeks ago the turnover battle for bc uh they they haven't necessarily generated a lot of turnovers defensively and last week i mean they got absolutely throttled i mean six turnovers in that football game three picks by jonathan jennings and you know you look at where this team's at the only game that they won of their last uh, of the last four games that they played was a shootout against the Ottawa Red Blacks in a game they gave up almost 500 yards passing. Chess. Yeah. This team's, yeah. you know, it's not good enough right now. And there's a lot, and I, I don't know. I mean, there's too much talent to not think that they can turn this around. Mm-hmm. But now they've put themselves in a position where they've got Sasky coming up, you know, to close out the year. Now you've got Edmonton nipping at their heels that they're right behind by just two points. And Edmonton's rolling into town. And you know that they're going to want that one from Mike Benavides, who, their former Lions head coach. Mm-hmm. Um, we'll get into that yeah, in the we'll CFL pickups. But I'll tell you what, it's, yeah, this, it's, there's, some real, there's some real problem signs. There's a lot of talent for them to kind of sort things out. But right now, BC giving up 33 points per game over their last four games. Um, you know, and, that's, and they're to, reeling. It's not just offense that's that that's, you know, causing some problems here. Defense can't stop anybody. We've talked we've talked about the doom and gloom of this situation and this scenario that they put themselves in. That being said, to to look on the bright side or play the play the optimist here, 
this football team can beat can beat anyone. Uh, they have a they have a quarterback who's a gunslinger. They have a running back who who totes the rock hard. Chris Rainey is as explosive and dynamic as anybody. And this receiving core, one through five, is as good as anybody across the league. So. They could have you easily know. won those two yeah, games yeah, in Winnipeg. Like, you know, in that fairness being to that. Said, it's, it, uh, that being said, it's, it's not ideal, but I wouldn't, I wouldn't count this team out to make a, to make a run and still have something for these fans uh, to, to be excited about. Hey, maybe about. Wally's putting them in a position to cross over in the, uh, into the it's East. All big maybe that's not. By, it's a big plan by, by Wally. Brillo. So you can get, uh, go, go, the, go the backdoor route. Okay, uh, let's go move on uh, now. Uh, let's, I want to touch on about the Toronto Argonauts. Uh, the Argos, just what a disaster. They've lost 9 of 10 now. Uh, Drew Willie looks absolutely overwhelmed. Yeah, that's a and, great way to put it. He you does. Know, he com- does. Completely ineffective. He shell shock when the, when the cameras oh. pan in on him after a play. Like he just looks, he just looks like, get me the heck out of here. Like uh, you, you, know, you know what? This is a, we like to pin it on 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 Drew and his numbers are his number. I could pull him up here. His numbers were were not were not good. No. Um, we talked about uh, we talked about it was to start the game off. Yeah, the first half, the the line for the Argos first half looked like this: punt, 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 fumble. Punt, punt, punt. That was the first half. Those are the first half drives for this for this Argo team. Um, that being said, I mean, I look at this. Brandon Whitaker is is uh, you know arguably the best blocking back in the football league mm-hmm. in the Canadian Football League. Super dependable guy, a physical guy. Everyone always talks about the one thing you don't know about Brandon Whitaker is they can block. Him and Chris Van Zee, who's another you know all star caliber caliber veteran tackle, they on one series completely. Blew the coverage. Left Jonathan Newsom. Uh, Chris Van Ziel blocked down. Uh, Brandon Whitaker came up off the edge. Was obviously Van Ziel thought he was going to block block Newsom off the edge. He, uh, Whitaker blocked down and then checked out. And Newsom had a direct direct run at, at Drew Willie. And Drew just did enough and did actually did a great job just to not get killed. It should have been a fumble mm. and it probably got hurt. Yeah, and he did enough to, just to get the ball yeah. out of out of his hands. So and there was other examples like that. I'm just giving that example because there's two veteran guys who are as dependable and as good as they come um, blowing blowing a blocking scheme. Those, those riders were all in the backfield, and, and, and they're obviously, I mean, with the addition of Willie Jefferson and, and, and Newsom is an is athletic pass rusher. Enoch Mwamba came flying through uh, mm-hmm. the middle and made a play, caused a fumble. Um, they were all in their, in their Kool-Aid, as, as you might say. But, uh, so it's not all on Drew Willie. Um, but you're but right. They, the Drew Willie experiment has not looked good. No, and it's uh, and in fairness, like, in fairness, it, this has been a tough situation for Drew because he's still trying to get acclimated and get adjusted to a new offense uh, and a team that's overwhelmed. But then you know the Argos, you know they turn around and they decide to dispatch all the receiving core. And whether you know this can go back to a little bit of what we talked about with Montreal and you know character issues and and whatnot, but. You know what the fact is? Those guys are more talented than the receiving core that they have presently. They, no the question. guys now no might question. be better teammates, but you know you're not necessarily doing your your new quarterback any favors by putting a subpar group together with with Drew Willie for a guy who already struggled with confidence coming into the Toronto situation, and now now you brought Ricky Ray into the mix who's back and he's practicing taking first team reps this week. And now like, what are you doing now for a guy that you basically said, this is our number one, a guy down the stretch and Ricky's back. And all of a sudden, and I say this, look, a healthy Ricky Ray right now is a, gives you a better chance to win than Drew Willie in Toronto. But that being said, you already anointed your new guy that you mortgage the future for. 
I, I think the way that this is unraveling in Toronto, Davis, to me, I, I, I just wonder, I, I just wonder if they might be looking at possible changes in personnel. Uh, and I'm talking from a management standpoint. I wonder if Jim Barker might be in some serious jeopardy uh, going into this offseason some... based on what a lost year because with the Grey Cup in Toronto and trying to win the fan base over and it just turned into a ridiculous situation. At the end of the day, somebody has to be held accountable. And it's just, you know, I like I like Jim Barker. And I think he, he's done a great job with a lot of, a lot of football teams over his career. Um, and and he, he'd probably do a good job turning this team around. Yeah. At the end of the day, um, it's pro sports. It's business. We all, we've all, we've all been slashed. We've all been, we've all been cut. We've all been traded. And uh, and at this point in time, Jim Barker, look, Zach Calaris got away. Trevor Harris got away. And these, there was all. There's reasons for all of them. There's situations for all of them. You had Ricky Ray, who was at that time one of the best quarterbacks in the league. So, it, I mean, there's there's reasons for it. He's a smart, smart football man. Uh, but these guys, it is what it is. You make these decisions, and at the end of the day, someone's got to be held accountable for these decisions. Um, this trade right now, you trade Drew, you trade you, Drew Willie, you get you get Drew Willie, you give up a first, a third, and T.J. Heath, who is who is playing great football. Bruce Johnson out in Winnipeg got suspended, and he stepped into that boundary half and just been locked down. Like I'm watching him play, and he can, this kid can play football. It's not just the interceptions because he's got he's leading the league in interceptions, but it's not just that because um, it's not always the best guy that gets the most interceptions. It's usually a weaker guy that gets interceptions. I remember I led the league one time in interceptions. I was a stab myself before you stab before you stab me, Sabalski. <laughs> but but that, but that being said, is this is a tire pumping zone, everybody? That's not tire pumping. It was self deprecation. Oh, but, okay. But anyway, you, you missed it. But anyway, actually, it was uh, in between. It was half tire pump, half half self deprecation. <laughs> yes. Um, but uh, that being said, it, it, he uh, you know you you make the trade. T.J. Heath is a heck of a football player, a first, a third, and and at that point, too you much. Anu- you announce. Yeah. You no, it's, it's not too much if you get if you have a franchise quarterback. Yes. At that point, you announced, uh, you know, a week later that Drew Willie is our guy for the for the rest of the season, and then two weeks later or three weeks later, you announced that. Wait a minute, I changed my mind. Uh, Ricky Ray's going to come back in. Well, that tells me that maybe you're having second thoughts about about the trade you just made, and at that point, you have to be held accountable for this trade for the organization yeah. and, and for moving forward because this is going to put you in a real with no first and no third. And losing a lockdown boundary halfback, which is tough to find, it puts your league leader, league organization in a real <laughs> tough spot. Yeah, a really bad spot. And uh, you know, the craziest stat that really jumps out with me with Toronto right now. How about this? The Toronto Argonauts have not had a lead since Drew Willie took over wow. as quarterback. Wow, they haven't had a lead. Never mind having won a game. They've lost 9 of 10, and that only win came from Dan LeFever at quarterback. So Ricky Ray, who was uh, supposedly written off a month ago in Argoland, he's back. So, uh, all right, listen, our CFL pickums are coming up just around the corner here, but uh, recently the uh, head coach of the Winnipeg Blue Bombers, uh, Mike O'Shea, uh, made his way into Vancouver and Davis and I had a chance to catch up with a guy who's gone through one roller coaster of a ride this season in the peg. Tell me this, what do you savor more, a win as a player or a win as a coach? Oh, I don't know. It's uh, 
Is it different? I've never looked at it that way. Um, I mean, ultimately, a win, you know, uh, you feel great. I think the interesting thing about a player is you have so much uh, control over it out there, you know. Um, as a coach, once you once you set the players loose, it's, it's really up to them. And um, it is very rewarding, though, to see your players come together and uh, manage a victory, especially in, in uh, a tough game like our last one against BC. Give me your, your, the Eureka moment where it finally clicked because at the beginning of the season there was a lot of talk around you and possibly your head being on the chopping block and now I think there's probably a strong case for you being CFL coach of the year so it's funny how this business goes. I know you're shaking your head but it's just funny how the business goes but can, can you pinpoint the Eureka moment? I guess people look at Matt Nichols stepping in but what stands out for you? What, what turned it around? I, I think there's a, a combination of things. Obviously Matt's had a great impact on our, on our team and uh, right around that time the defense started rolling I mean they started taking the ball away from the opposition at a, at a feverish pace I'm talking you know six and six and six takeaways you know and um, when you when you've got that many opportunities uh, it allowed the offense a little more breathing room probably they didn't have to you know they didn't have to have a, a production on every single series you know because they were going to get the ball back again and again and again not that they knew that but it certainly uh, took some of the pressure off right so that uh, you know the way those two events sort of coincided uh, uh, probably coupled with a few other things too um, things just started to roll how are you as a coach? I mean, are you are you a guy who gets in guys' grills? Are you uh, are you a player's coach? Are you a taskmaster? I mean, is there a sense that how you would envision yourself? I think every coach... Warm, friendly guy with a beard, right? Uh, I think every coach has to be a chameleon at some times in, in terms of uh, they've got to be able to recognize what type of coach they need to be at that particular moment. I mean, I don't consider myself a yeller and screamer by any means. Um, I tend not to coach with volume, I don't think, but you know I'm probably the wrong guy to ask. You know I don't, uh, I don't uh, sort of critique my actions immediately following every time I have a conversation with a player. You know I just, I. But that was the same way you were as a player too. Yeah, you know I just sort of try and recognize the situation and what that situation needs, and I try to sort of fulfill that need. Davis, you had to match up against Mike a few times, and not necessarily on the field going head-to-head. There's somebody who doesn't like contact. What do you remember about Mike as a player? Oh, lunch, lunch pill guy, tough guy, and uh, a lead, definitely a leader on his team. I think, uh, yeah, Coach O'Shea, you knew he was, you knew he was headed for uh, into, into coaching, no question, because any t- a leader like he was and, um, and a, uh, you know, a champion, a guy who was a student of the game, kind of knew he was leaning that way, but uh, good to see you uh, doing so well. And uh, on the turnaround, the turnaround here, we, we talked a lot about the, the early, the early struggles and how things went and, and um, the patience that uh, everyone showed and it's, uh, it's sure paid off. Was there ever a moment that you kind of wondered, is this going to happen or not? Uh, no, not this year. I mean, you, you sort of having, you know, we don't really have time to look back right now, sure. you know, um, I, but it's quite uh, disappointing that the first two seasons went the way they did. Um, but I'm one of those guys I have uh, sort of unwavering belief belief and faith, you know, I'm, you know, you just you start every season knowing you're going to win the championship. You know, when they tell you you didn't at the end, you know, it's kind of a shocker and a blow. You know, you, you sort of sit back and take stock and find out what the hell happened. But 
every season starts that way. I mean, if you don't believe, then the people that are looking up to you certainly won't. I look at all the coaches around. I mean, you, I mean you've pretty much almost every major coach in this league you've got some sort of connection with. I mean, obviously, you put some time in this league, but... You know, obviously, time with Scott Milanovic, you know, Orlando Steinauer, Ken Austin, in one some sort of capacity or another. I mean, uh, Chris Jones, for that matter. Is is there a style or somebody that you've tried to emulate your style a little bit in terms of coaching or who a coach that might have influenced you the most? Yeah, I, I just don't believe in that. Um, certainly, you take. Uh, so you're a lone wolf renegade. Then. No, I think every coach is the same way. I don't think they're gonna. I don't think if you ask that same question to every coach, I think they're gonna give you the same. I think they're gonna give you the same answer you you really can only be who you are and if you try to be someone you're not it's not going to work it's going to fail miserably so I mean are there are there things that I remember about Don Matthews about Jim Barker and Scott Milanovic and all these guys that have been around and all the coaches that I've played under absolutely there are certain things but you're only going to be able to be who you are and I mean if you if if your message is opposite uh, of your character, it's just it's going to fail miserably. So just try to be honest and authentic. And, um, you know, I, I just try to be who I am. Just before we wrap it up, Davis and I talk about this all the time. And it, it always seems to be coming up as, you know, Davis's CanCon and your, your Canadian, you know, homegrown talent. Is there is there anything that the CFL or is there anything you'd like to see uh, in order to continue developing Canadian talent or something that the league can do more of or, or something that in general can be done more beyond just, I guess, what we see, the grassroots level from CIS or anything? Well, you know, I don't know that I give it as much thought, deep thought as I should. Um, I think there's tremendous amount of Canadian talent um, as evidenced by more and more guys getting scholarships down south. You know, I think that that's, that uh, I would like to see more and more guys stick around here. And I'd like to see... In the CIS? Yeah, and I'd like to see the caliber of coaching um, increase here. And there, some of the programs now are so well-funded, I think it's just... A matter of time before, um, with increased numbers of paid positions, that uh, the competition, because there are some very very good coaches, but it has to be there has to be competition at the coaching level. Um, you know, uh, for those jobs that are well paid, there has to be a lot more competition, and I think when you get that, you'll um, just the production of, of athletes coming out of CIS schools will be even greater but I'd like to see more kids stick around here and um, because there are some very good coaches and some very good programs okay last one for you what's the family reaction to the beard thumbs up thumbs down how are they feeling about it uh, the, the kids love it the wife <laughs> the wife's coming around <laughs> slowly but surely uh, is it staying till Grey Cup then uh, probably fast it's Winnipeg in the winter I'm telling you, <laughs> you you gotta this is I think this just happens, right? Oh, okay. Well, Davis, what's your excuse in mild Vancouver then? Uh, I have no hair on the top of my head, so I have to compensate with some okay. facial hair. That's Mike, I like your excuse much better. Thanks for doing this, and uh, great to see Thanks, you again. James. Thanks, Davis. Nice to see the head coach, the uh, Bombers, Mike O'Shea, uh, Viking beard, doing all right. Family seems to be uh, mixed about it, but uh, <laughs> I'll, I'll tell you what. What a story, what a what a journey that he's been on for, you know, Davis, we talked about this in the first few weeks of the season, the first month. I think we, we thought that Mike was probably going to get gonged. I, I think we thought that legitimately he was going to get fired the way that the team started. And, you know, things turned around, and you can look at a lot of different ways. Obviously, Matt Nichols, who we'll hear from in a little bit, but 
Uh, he has weathered the storm, and I think it's fair to say that Mike O'Shea will probably get extended here and is very much in the discussion for Coach of the Year, I think, up there with Dave Dickinson and the, and the job that he's done in Calgary. What a turnaround. Like, how, fa- Remarkable. how fast is that turnaround? We really, I mean, I, I'll be honest, we uh, we did say that we thought that he was going to get get it, and after, uh, you know, they went out and, and made those. And, and Kyle Walters as well. Like, he, he mm-hmm. was uh, on the block as well. And I, I look at the, you know, I look at the offseason season moves they made and I was I was critical to to be quite frank I yeah I thought that they overpaid for Weston Dressler well they didn't and, spend their money in the right places right, I think right, a lot of people felt right right, right. and and Ryan Smith and and uh, I'll tell you what I don't know how much they paid for uh Justin Medlock but it was a deal because he <laughs> is he is every penny a, every penny such a difference maker I mean he was seven for seven um, against the Leos last week, and yep. that, that I mean that was a difference in the game. I mean, he's he was he's, seven of eight against the, the Riders earlier this year, and that in that game that went down to the wire. Like it's, I mean, and he's the trade, and then and then, yeah. and then also to give more credit to Kyle Walter, the the trade, the trade, the Drew Willie trade, where they absolutely put on a ski mask and stuck up <laughs> stuck up Jim Barker and the uh, and the Argos at at gunpoint took a first and, round and then got themselves and then still got themselves a capable quality Glenn, backup in Kevin Glenn yeah. it was probably better than Drew Willie so you got you got a first wow. round pick a third round pick TJ Heath who was balling mm-hmm. and then you went and got KG from Montreal for a fifth round pick or something like that from Jim it was KG is I wouldn't even say arguably better than yeah. Drew you got a, you got an all, you, yeah you got an all star you got an all star caliber player and you got a, a first and third and you got and you and, and you and you replaced your backup your your quarterback the better quarterback <laughs> with a wow. with a potential upgrade for backup. Hey hey not bad. Hey, walk in the sky dome. Stick up on BMO play. Stick up. Put your hands up, Jim. No, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Hey, it, it looks good now. Maybe that will change. But uh, well, I mean, just think of the street. I said freeze. Put your hands up, Jim. <laughs> think of the street cred now that Kyle Walter has now. Kyle, well played, well played. Uh, okay, let's bring that brings us to uh, our CFL pickups for week number eighteen. And we start with the return leg in the nation's capital, Hamilton and Ottawa. Zach Calero still not cleared to play. So it looks like Smile and Hank and Jeremiah Masoli once again. And, and Smile and Hank, boy, comes off the bench. We, we, you know, it was almost like a where are they now files uh, two weeks ago. Henry comes back on him relief, sparks the Red Blacks offense. He gets the start last week, leads them to victory. And now Ottawa in the driver's seat to claim first in the CFL's East Division. Great move, great move. We questioned, we questioned whether or not you know it was the right move. Uh, you know, Trevor Harris or Hank, and they talked about Marcel Desjardins. Talked about that, that Henry brought a, a spark uh, mm-hmm. to to the football team, and uh, and that you know on the field they were kind of interchangeable. They both had a similar skill set. The numbers, the numbers were similar, but Henry brought a spark, and that spark was uh, was evident uh, last week, leading that team to a. To a big, big win in in Hamilton, and uh, how do you approach this if you're Trevor, uh, if you're Rick Campbell now with the quarterback situation? Is this is this Henry is this Henry's team to run with now for the rest of the season, or or do you stay non like do you stay non-committal with your quarterbacking situation with both Harris and Henry? I stay non-committal. I mean, why why commit yourself? You yeah, have, you have a great situation here. You have two guys who are who, you know, Trevor Harris was on track to be a possible MVP or a most outstanding player last year. Henry actually is the most outstanding player. Uh, you have them both on your roster. They're both healthy. Um, you're going to have home field. If one of them falters, you know, give him the old hook, bring in, bring in Trevor, 
I mean, if Trevor does well, you maybe play him. You put. I mean, I just love the situation. So like, don't do like Toronto. Don't to don't do an Argos no, thing where you say this is my guy. Yeah, and then until him, he's not him, my guy. Pull him three weeks away. No, no, <laughs> definitely not. But yo, it's a great situation for Rick Campbell yeah, to have. And, I'm with you. And uh, you know, I think they're the only team in the league right now that that has. Well, not the only team. The strongest, the strongest one-two punch in the league. You know, Drew Tate's a good quarterback. I actually, try to take that back. Travis Lule also um, in BC that yeah, have a similar a situation, one. but he yep. just hasn't played as much no. this, this season. So you don't, Jen- know, Jennings you been don't healthy. know. You yeah. don't know uh, what Travis would do. I obviously have faith in Travis, but they have the best one-two punch who have, have been active and playing a lot this year, uh, going into the playoffs, and uh, all of a sudden, uh, you're right, since James is a red black homer, your red blacks now are. Uh, probably going to clinch clinch here and have home field throughout. They have two healthy quarterbacks, and their defense is starting to play a little better. They uh, they looking all right. I think Hamilton wins this one, and I and I and for I, I just I think Hamilton because finds I called, a way. Because I called you a homer, you want to prove me <laughs> exactly. wrong? Just, anything just to, prove just, me to wrong. just to stick it to you. Yeah. Uh, no, you know what? It, it's funny. I, I just uh, from an Ottawa standpoint, I have a bad feeling about this, and the main reason is this team just has not played well at home. And, and I, think, I think Ottawa, I think I think Ottawa comes away. Yeah. yeah, I think I think Ottawa comes away with the division. I think they'll find a way just based on the way things are going to go down the the rest of the season. But to me, I, I think that Ottawa finds a way to ultimately win out. But I think this is a game that Hamilton will be far more desperate about and urgent about. And and for whatever reason, uh, despite the incredible atmosphere that the fans have produced at TD Place. Um, I, I just I don't I I'm just going with, I'm going don't with red it. black I'm going with red black. Nation. Well, I hope you're right, buddy. I hope you're right. In, in the, My parents hope you're right. I'm just yeah. <laughs> My sisters hope you're right. But go. but at this time I I think you know what I'm gonna go Hamilton uh, I'm gonna go Hamilton with this one on the Friday. Uh, Argos and Stamps. Uh, Dave Dickinson uh, was not happy with the play and you and you saw that firsthand uh, despite picking up the win over uh, the Montreal Alouettes. But uh, it looks like Ricky Ray is going to be starting uh, in Calgary as well. Uh, to me, it's a little too little too late. But what was Dave Dickinson most concerned about that you saw? Well, he, I mean, uh, Bo Levi Mitchell has been sacked 14 times going into the game. Uh, I believe the next all season, yeah, yeah, all season going into that into that Montreal game. And I believe the next the next team the team with the next fewest sacks was 28. I think Winnipeg. Mm. I think it was 28 or something like just a huge uh, disparity yeah, between between number one and two. Their old line has been. Unbelievable, and, and obviously Bo's great at getting rid of the ball and, and knowing where to go with the ball as he has command of this of this Dave Dickinson offense. He was under siege. I mean, this this Montreal defense was all over him all night long. He was he got sacked four times, and it probably could have been six or seven. There was times where he spun out of sacks where they had him dead to right, and he spun out of it and somehow got rid of the ball. I mean, that's this defense is great, and that's credit to them, obviously, but but. That's the biggest problem with with Calgary right now was it was that O line. I don't think it'll be I don't think it will be a problem moving forward. But oh. that was uh, oh Jerome Mayo. Sorry, yeah, Jerome Mayo. Uh, that's huge. I mean, I mean that's the captain of their defense, a leader on their de- defense. Their their signal caller uh, at middle linebacker. Unfortunately, out for the season with a knee injury. Yeah, he twisted his knee on the carpet or on the grass, and and uh, I mean this is this is the problem you have. With, How do you start with, re- when you so when do you start resting guys now because these next two uh, weeks yeah. these next two weeks don't you don't want no. the, you don't want these guys to get cold because you you you've got a week off you're gonna have a bye with the first round of the playoffs but these games are and irrelevant. Say, say what you want. We talked about effort and, yeah. and and all that, but you know talking about the Montreal situation. 
I've been in this situation before, um, and I it's you you always say play hard or you don't want to get hurt because if you don't play hard, you, it's a possibility yeah. to get hurt. It's only natural to turn down contact and to try to stay out of the way. I know I've been in the situation in Montreal. We actually we had the biggest uh, there are 41 days between games for Calgary um, until they play a meaningful game, the Western Final, yeah. from when they clinched last week. 41 days. Wow. And we in Montreal in 2009, we had the I think the longest or the second longest in history. We had 50 days. Wow. Um, between almost two months between meaningful games after we clinched, and I know you're out there. And it's just it, it's survival mode. Yeah. I mean, I don't care. You can say what you want to say. I know it's you want to. It's like playing prevent, right? Yeah, well, it's you, a little bit like you, you can, know. You can say try well, not I, to lose. You ask no. me then. And you could pull up a thing you asked me then in 2009. If I was gonna, if it changed the way I play, I would have told you all the right answers. No, yeah. it's you play hard all the time, or you don't want to worry. You don't worry yeah. about getting hurt. You just play. It's BS. You worry about getting hurt. You stay out the way. You try to you try to limit the limit the. Uh, you know the the things you go go through, like obviously minimize the risk. Of course, and 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 that's what I, I bet you. There's no way that Montreal gets after Calgary the way they get after them mm-hmm. if it's a game that that uh, it's for the playoffs or it means something for Calgary because I mean they just you're just not going to be as physical. Yeah. You know the skill guys can st- will still do the same things, but you just cannot be as physical. So it's going to be interesting to see how Calgary handles this. Um, you know, trying not to get hurt, but yet wanting to uh, wanting to. Uh, Improved from last week's performance. They're uh, pedestrian. The offense pedestrian. They were. They looked. They looked a, a shell of that. Uh, that potent Calgary offense. Okay, let's go on. I, I think that being said, I think Cal. We like Calgary over Toronto here at this point. Yeah, yeah okay. I, I think regardless. Okay, let's go over to Saturday, and uh, it's Montreal with the Vernon Adams era set to launch in Regina against the red hot, white hot, green hot. Saskatchewan Rough Riders, winners of four straight. Um, for, let's get into Vernon Adams in just a quick second, but I'll tell you what, man. This What really jumps out to me, the Riders right now, um, it's unbelievable. Uh, the Riders are averaging less than 20 points per game uh, on defense in their last five games. They're giving up 19.8 points over their last five contests, uh, having and having won four of those five. They've won four straight. Uh, this is a team that's really clicking, and uh, I do wonder if they might run the table down the stretch. And Vernon Adams is going to be in tough against uh, a, a defense that might be the best defense in, or the hottest defense in football right now as Vernon Adams will make his first CFL start. And I think if you're a Montreal fan, you're really intrigued to see what this guy can offer given the fact that you in all likelihood gave up the first overall pick in next spring's draft to get him, Davis. Uh, yes, this Riders team is, is playing is playing great. And it's, it's, it'd be great to see. You know, I, I questioned um, the decision of, by the Montreal Alouettes last week to not, to not play Vernon Adams. Uh, their offense wasn't doing anything. Um, they, they, uh, you know, even if it's it's two ways of thought. If you thought that you were still in the game, um, and you know, only down two scores, and they thought they were still in the game, and if they thought that Raheem Cato gave them the best chance to win, I can understand that. Um, but after you know, after the third quarter and and the, the second quarter, the third quarter, and then halfway to the fourth, still nothing. Even if um, you're not putting putting uh, putting Vernon Adams in for mop up duty. You put him in to try to spark the team. Anything to try to get something done. And they, they didn't waited. Do that. They, they waited and, 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 and waited and, and waited. And so I was surprised he didn't get in the game. Uh, he was in the game at the end, but it was for a quarterback sneak, and in, in, uh, and that's his package anyway. And the other thought would be that yeah, maybe maybe uh, in, you know the game was out of hand and you put him in. But uh, nevertheless, he's in now. I guess uh, Jacques his plan was to let to let Raheem see if he could. 
um, make it make a comeback there, and his plan all along probably was to give Vernon this game. So uh, it's gonna be interesting to see, and not a not an ideal place to play. No, uh, not right now. No, out there with this team playing so good, and that. Uh, but a guy who played uh, played at Oregon, so obviously knows about playing in front of big crowds and hostile environments. Uh, we'll we'll see what the hype's all about. But uh, Jim Pop gave up a lot to get him. Mm-hmm. He gave up a first round pick. Not as much as what Jim Barker gave up to get Drew Willie, but... Put uh, your hands up, Jim! <laughs> I said freeze! Uh, but I think uh, I think we think it's fair to That's say enough. that we both like the riders. No, it's funny. I like it. I think people are laughing right now listening to that. I think they can appreciate that. I don't know. Maybe Jim's probably That's not my, Just my guy, too. Hey, hey, hey let, me, let, me, let me kiss up to Jim real fast. Just my guy, though. I, I, you know what? But it is what it is. Hey, yeah. you know what? We talk. Hey, we're we're give, we're we're trying to keep it real. We're we're giving we're being on, we're being open and honest. It doesn't mean that I don't respect I respect he's Jim. A, he's been a great GM a, and a, a great gr- personnel guy gr- for a long he, time in he, his league. So let's not no, let's no, not no. get the jokes confused. But yes. hey, he we did. still have respect for. A, he's a great cup. He's oh, yeah. a great cup winning general manager yes, and has indeed. been a, a very successful. Uh, Coach and manager in the Canadian Football League, but um, hey, yeah, it's it been, it's been it is. taking us sometimes. Right now. Sometimes we have a bad mama. Mama said there'd be days like this. <laughs> yes, we've all been there. Uh, so anyway, Vernon, Vernon Adams era set to begin in Montreal. We're uh, in Regina this week against the Riders. I think we both like the Riders here in that one, and uh, brings us to the last one. Uh, another intriguing matchup where you've got Edmonton in Vancouver to take Ooh. on the Reeling Lions. Edmonton seems to have found their groove. They've won three straight. Lions have lost three and four, or three or four. We touched on earlier in the show. Uh, tell me this: Mike Benavides, the former head coach of the BC Lions, returns, and uh, based on what you've seen or what what's been said and what's been read, it doesn't sound like Wally and Mike have kind of stayed in touch a whole lot uh, since that kind of went down. Um, as a team, when you got a situation like this where the defensive coordinator is going up, you know, it's his former team, is there a little bit of a, you know, in the room, a, hey, let's win this one for Mike or, or sort of, do guys know, do they pay attention to that stuff? Are they aware of, you know, history with, with guys who maybe played with former teams or, or is it not talked about a whole lot? It's not talked about a whole lot, but you know. I mean, if, I, if I'm in that Edmonton locker room and Mike Benavides has the key. As a defensive player, Mike Benavides has the key to my success. He's either going to like me and want me to be his guy and, and and talk to the GM at the end of the season about, hey, I need this guy, get him an extension, he's one of my guys, or whatever it may be. You want to be in his good books, uh, obviously, and you want to play for your coach. You, if you Whether you like him or you don't like him, uh, he's going he's gonna to decide a lot of your fate. So you know this game is important to him. You, you're going to make – it's never said. I never – I played lots against old coaches, and I've never, ever heard the, the coach say something about, hey, do this for me, or hey, this is important to me, or ever. And actually in the locker room, I don't never hear the guys talk about it. But we know, you know, that, hey, this is, this is, this is for, the, for my guy, and he – I got to get this play well for him so that, you know, because if you don't, if I go out there and get beat for three touchdowns and it looks bad on him – What's he, when he's when he's doing walk through the next week and sees you out there? What what do you think he's gonna be thinking? He's gonna be cutting his cutting his face at you and and pissed off that you just gave up three touchdowns and uh, now he looks like a bad coordinator and uh, anyway so he's yeah. gonna channel his inner yeah, Durant. Yeah no yeah no question. Anyway that's you know that's the same <laughs> thing. Here's, just a little side note here. Yeah. That's the same thing with when you're playing for. I said this before playing for Jim Pop. Mm-hmm. Guys were not gonna quit. Like the guy he was letting guys you know whatever it may be the. Yep. Letting guys get away with things and blah blah blah, but when the guy signing your checks is the guy you're playing for, when Jim is on, you know on his last legs as the head coach, I would expect I would have expected the guys to play hard because he's going to be the one signing your check. You better play hard for him and try to make him look good, 
So you might put an extra zero on that check. And I, I think the same thing for, for – that goes for any situation in, in pro sports, I think. And, and uh, so I think, I think this, those guys will play well for Mike. It's a big game regardless. It's a big game. And, uh, and, and I, think all, I think all three of these teams are fairly, are fairly even. I think, that, I think the Winnipeg, Edmonton, and B.C. are all fairly even. No. And you could probably pull straws to see which team's best. The one advantage, and I talked about this on the Edmonton Eskimos podcast early in the week, the advantage that they have is Mike Riley. I mean, Mike, Mike Riley. Riley. The advantage of Mike Riley and, and, and Darius Bowman, they have, they have a, a duo that um, are, are all-stars, yeah. that are Grey Cup champions. They're battle-tested. And when it comes to big, crucial situations – they know where to go and what to do, and there's no one else. Uh, you look at Winnipeg, you look at BC. There's no there's no other one-two punch that has as much experience and championship and playoff experience together as these two guys. And on big crucial situations and and second downs and in, in money time in the fourth quarter, that that cohesiveness and that relationship and that and that factor plays bigger than you would think and with everything else being somewhat equal that's the one edge that I give to the Eskimos in this three man race yeah and this is and this is why I think and I look at this matchup it, it's it, this is I'm going with the double you know selection here and this is why exactly based on what I've seen over the last few weeks and it's a tr- the game of trust right I'm going to go with Edmonton here to get things done until BC proves otherwise that that a they can start stopping people or slowing people down again, which they have not been able to do over the last month. And B, um, you know, get things going offensively to where they're not shooting themselves in the foot. I mean, last week, I don't think the Lions are going to turn the ball over six times again. But right now, in the game of trust, Mike Riley, Darrell Walker, Adarius Bowman. I think we're going to go with the team that's that's battle hardened, and they've also got a lot of. I, I think there's a there's also that win one for. For Benny, uh, sort of mindset going into this one, I, I, th- I think I one think the Eskimos are clicking right now. I think the I think the Lions are ripe for for uh, for a loss at home again. But you know this this can go either way. If BC kind of wakes up, they can easily win this one. But I'm gonna pick I'm gonna pick Edmonton. One thing to look at, James, and I really want to you know we'll talk about this next week when we get back at it. But I really want to look in this matchup. Is there's a bullseye right now mm-hmm. on 39 and 23. That's yeah. Chandler Fenner and Anthony Gator, the boundary side of this of this BC secondary. Um, you, you got two vets, you got two vet, two vets and Stewart and Will, and uh, Phillips on the to the field side who are, you know they're, they're vets that they, they'll hold it down. But these two guys, you got two rookies playing in the hot corner in the hot half, and that's gonna be that's gonna be where Darius Bowman is, and that's where all the best receivers are. And we'll see. I mean, uh, you know, uh, Wally did sign the cornerback from UW. Um, uh, from Washington, they did not just sign a cornerback from Washington. Yeah, and and we'll, we'll see. He's in the practice roster, but we'll see what happens. It, but these guys are. We're gonna find out. Spend here. some time with the uh, with Washington and uh, okay, San so he, Diego. Okay, as well so he's the NFL. NFL Washington yeah. Redskins. And, but anyway, they they have not been happy with with their play, uh, at least especially Fender. I think Gator's been uh, you know, you know, okay. But the bottom line is there's a bullseye on these two guys, and teams are gonna continue to go after them as long as they keep on getting on penalties. Illegal contact, illegal contact, and giving up big plays. Um, Fender has probably gotten illegal contact 
or give up a big play at least once every game that he's been in. And sometimes twice he gave a touchdown and illegal contact in, in the last three drives of that of the crucial game there. So hopefully these two guys can 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 turn it around and step up in these big games. But that's definitely a problem area that I'll be watching uh, come come this weekend. All right, don't forget to play CFL Pick'em on CFL.ca for your chance to win thirty thousand dollars in prizes. And the best thing about it, it's free. You can make head-to-head pickups with uh, pick up. Pickums, pickums with both, yeah, not pickups. We're not we're not cruising here. Uh, pickums with uh, go head to head with both Davis and myself. Uh, all you got to do, log on to CFL.ca and sign up, and you can join our group, the Waggle. And again, best important thing, it's free. Uh, we had a chance to catch up with Bombers quarterback Matt Nichols. What a story! What a redemption story! And a guy who's waited a long time for this chance to be the guy in Winnipeg. And here now that conversation. You know, you've got a unique journey because I feel like you have been, patience is a virtue, virtue is a grace, the old saying. And I think you've, you've been a very patient guy to finally get this opportunity. How does it feel to finally be the guy in pro football? Yeah, it feels great, honestly. You know, it, it has been uh, not the easiest road, but I feel like it's kind of how it's been my entire life, you know, from a kind of a small town in Northern California. I think no one from my high school has ever gotten a full ride scholarship to play football out of high school, so I was kind of the first one to do that, and and you know felt like I didn't re- get recruited very much. And then same thing at Eastern Washington, I didn't you know put up a, a ton of numbers, started you know some close to 50 straight games, and and pretty much broke every record there was there and in that conference, and really was you know felt like I was under recruited by the NFL, and then. I felt like I played decent when I got a chance there and got released. I was just trying to find a home. Ended up in Edmonton. Had went through a couple of injuries, and, and you know, so it's been definitely a long road. But you know, it seems like you know, I've always had to kind of grind all the time. So it's something I'm used to. And honestly, you know, it just makes it that much sweeter when you you get this opportunity and you have success. And you know, something you've been dreaming about your whole life. You know, lead a professional football team each and every week. And no, it's been a, it's been a great year for me personally, obviously, but more so just for this team and the turnaround we've had. Were you ever close to just saying, you know what, enough is enough? You know, bad luck. You talked about injuries. You tore your ACL a couple of years ago. I mean, was there ever a point to say, Uncle, all right, I'm going to pack groceries or, or whatever, whatever it's going to be? No, there wasn't for me, honestly. And it, it helps. You know, my wife is extremely supportive. She's been with me since my uh, second year of college, and, and she's been through it all That's with me. That's early. Yeah, yeah, we we lived together. we actually lived together as friends before we were ever married uh, or ever together. Okay. Um, you know, That's what I mean, you're telling the parents anyway, right? We we're no, just friends. No, it, it honestly <laughs> was. Though. It was kind of crazy, and, and you know, they kind of say, uh, you know, marry your best friend that type of thing. And she yeah. was just one of my best friends, and, and she moved into the house with me and a, a couple of other football players that are not, you know, still our lifelong best friends. And it just kind of happened where we were definitely friends first, and then you know started dating after that, and. and She's been the biggest thing for me. You know, when you you have these goals, it's it's easy to lose focus sometimes when you go through some of the things I've gone through. And to have someone there that's always, you know, telling you you need to go work out, you need to go rehab, you need to go do this, and, and having that, I think, has been big for me. You uh, you know, you talk about Kevin Glenn kind of being the Rodney Dangerfield of uh, the CFL. I somehow think uh, you know you're you've been in similar situation. You know, uh, eight and two this year, and, uh, and continually putting up wins and and not getting necessarily credit uh, for that. When you talk about game manager, or you being a game manager, how do you take that when you hear someone say Matt Nichols is a game manager? You know, honestly, you kind of take it personally. I mean, 
it's hard to, to win. And not that know. it's a negative way, but do you yeah, take I it mean, as do you I, take it as a ne- as a negative yeah, when someone I, says you know, that? I, yeah, I do a little bit. You know, honestly, I mean, I care more about what my teammates think about me, and they know that you know, I, I take shots and get right back up and come out and can, can continue to compete with for them. And in this line of business, I mean, you can't go out there and not be a playmaker and win football games. I mean. Just because you don't play in an offense where we put up 400 yards doesn't mean that you're not going out and making you know extremely accurate throws and and big time plays when you need to make big time plays and you know being a game manager is kind of something that I don't agree with. I mean, I feel like you know out there making plays with your teammates and and, and doing the things you need to do to get wins and you know managing wins right now. Yeah, fighting words, Davis. Fighting words. Yeah, I did, that was just funny you said that because I was just thinking that too. You, yes, you're managing your game, managing, you manage to win win games, and that's uh, and that's uh, what it's about. You know, from from your standpoint, a guy from Redding, California. I mean, it seems like most Golden Boy quarterbacks all seem to come from California, but you know, you didn't come with the fanfare. I mean. I guess your neck of the woods is probably more known for Sons of Anarchy and a, a fictional bike gang, but talk about the journey of how you got into the game and, and how you got to this point. Yeah, I mean, when I was a little kid, uh, you know, really my first love was baseball, actually. My, my aunt told me, you know, I don't really remember, obviously, because I was... Uh, Have you recovered, by the way, from your Giants loss to the Cubs? I, I noticed you're tweeting a lot about your San Francisco Giants. <laughs> yeah, that was, that was a rough one. Uh, you know, at the same time, you know, I went through. Uh, I went to about twenty-something games growing up, and I actually, I, I never saw the Giants lose in person. It was kind of a crazy thing with all the games I've gone to. However, they were really rough, kind of my whole life growing up. You know, didn't make a lot of playoff appearances, no World Series, and then the last few years, obviously, have been great. 2010, 12, and 14, winning the World Series, and you, know, you just expect them to continue to win, and so it's heartbreaking when when you see them lose and. I think baseball is the one sport where I'm really a, a true fan. You know, it's hard for me to watch NFL and really get too emotionally involved. I think being but baseball, a, but baseball, yeah, I definitely you know love the Giants and yeah. And you know, when I was a little kid, honestly, uh, you know, my aunt tells me that I'm the only three year old she's ever seen that could get sit in front of a TV and watch an entire baseball game. It was just uh, <laughs> it's a, a love of mine. And from a young age, I just uh, I felt like I just knew I was going to play professional sports. I thought it was baseball when I was little, but um, that was always a goal of mine. And, you know, I never listened to anyone saying you can't do it or what the stats are. And I've seen stats that are like 1% of high school athletes play in college and 1% of college athletes play pro. And you know, I've, I've, I've talked to you know, my college teammates about that when I was in college that, you know, all of us basically, you know, said screw the statistics and, and that didn't mean anything to me. And, and I think that you know, I'm tr- firm believer in you know you just have to work hard and and obviously you have to have some God-given talent. But you know I, I feel like I've worked extremely hard to get to this point and you know I've, I've had that mindset since I was a kid that I was going to get to this point and obviously it's a great feeling to get here. A description you had, I, I was laughing my belly off here when your description of of, of Bo, uh, you said that uh, he's about as cocky as you could be while still liking him, uh, which I thought was funny. It was uh, what's your uh, what's your description of that, and how do you how do you mean that in regards to his uh, his how he is and his swag? Yeah, some I'm, people might perceive him as being over the top cocky. Yeah, I mean honestly, I mean there's a few things that if you don't know Bo, you could take things out of context or. or you know, it could rub you the wrong way, and I could definitely see that. But knowing him, he's he's one of the best people I know. I mean, he's he's you know just a good dude all around, and he's just the you know one of the most competitive guys I've ever met. I mean, he fully expects to win in everything he does, and you know, you know we're the type of guys. You know, I feel like I have the same type of thing inside me, where whether it's ping pong with my wife or or whatever, you know, I, I fully expect to win, and I'm gonna do everything I can. He just has that ultimate confidence, and why wouldn't he? I mean, he's 
he's proven that he's one of the best in the game and you know continues playing like this he's going to be one of the best to ever play watching you play you have a lot of that you don't hear people talk about Matt being cocky or uh, whatever it may be but I see a lot of that in you uh, you know you got the gun sometimes you fire the guns after a touchdown or you do a lot I feel like you have that some of that in you do you feel like that too yeah absolutely I'm you know, I tell my wife all the time you know she always tells me I'm a little crazy and, and just a kind of a different person on the field I mean off the field I'm extremely level-headed I get along with everyone um, you know I, I'm never too high too low but when it comes game day you know, something flips inside me and it's kind of the uh, the Irish anger I think it might be but um, you know, I'm, I'm an extremely passionate guy and I think if you ask any of my teammates uh, you know I'm they'd probably give you a different description than just a fan watching the game would give you about me. It, it's it's such a small world, the, the CFL quarterbacking fraternity. I mean, obviously, you know, you're attached to the hip with, with Drew Willey, Bo Levi, who, you know, obviously your time together at, at Eastern Washington, or uh, and that sort of connection, Mike Riley, obviously, as well. I mean, it really is a, a, like, it's not even a six degrees of separation or six degrees of Kevin Bacon. It's almost one degree, so to speak. I mean, can you be, can you be competitive with somebody you're close with, or, or how does that how does that dynamic work in such a in such a small fraternity where everybody knows everybody? Yeah, I think you're you're almost more competitive in that aspect. I mean, at the same time, you have this utmost respect for those guys because you know, unless you've stood back there with live bullets and and seeing guys flying around at this level, you don't understand what it's like to be back there unless you've played the position before. So you know, we all fully understand what each other has to go through each and every week and, and how you prepare and the hits you take and and having to make throws under pressure and those types of things. So you just have a ton of respect for those guys, but at the same time, you, you want to go out and beat them every week. Do you week chirp and, each other? Oh, yeah, for sure. Lots and, of texts uh, before the games? Or? Yeah, and you know, honestly, you know, most of it's kind of um, you know, telling each other good job and stay healthy and that kind of stuff. And, and, and I mean, I've, I've had a lot of times where you, know, you have questions or – you know, especially for me being a young starter, you know, asking guys about things and, and getting advice from them, and everyone's more than happy to, you know, kind of lend you advice and those types of things. So, uh, you know, it is a close knit group, and it helps, obviously, like you said, where, you know, Bo, myself, you know, Vernon Adams in Montreal, and uh, and Mike Riley, we're all coached by the same same coach, and so we all have that that connection, and obviously just makes us even tighter that way, and. Getting to know the guys, the more you play in this league, you know, you just, again, you just have the most respect for them and, and what they do and, and what you have to go through at this position. You um, you said all the right things, and everybody said the right things, but with Drew finally getting dealt to the Argos, did it kind of relieve a little bit of tension? Just, I mean, you guys both want to play. It felt probably like an awkward situation, but the team's winning, and something had to give, but... Is there at least a little bit of sense of relief, not just on from a Winnipeg side of things, but for Drew's standpoint as well? You know, maybe for him, but honestly, you know, it was, it was kind of a cliche, but he was just such a great teammate, man. He, uh, you know, once it all happened and after the Edmonton game, you know, he, he texted me right afterwards and just said, you know, friendships are going to last a lot longer than this game. And, and, you know, it is what it is. And, you know, he, he was fully in support of me and helping me in the film room, helping me on the sidelines. You know, I think after the... Uh, one of the six outs to me is after the Banjo Bowl win, we kicked the game winner, or sorry, the Labor Day game when we kicked the game winner. You know, I was still kind of going through the emotions of what just happened. You know, and so I wasn't like super celebratory after the game. And he's like, he's like, man, what's wrong? And he's a, he's going nuts. Like he's super excited. And you know, when I saw him celebrating like that, I was just like, man, like this is a guy that you know really just cares about the team winning. And honestly, that made it way easier. And, and you know, him being traded didn't relieve any 
pressure from me or anything. I had already felt like, you know, I had his full support and, and this team support. So, you know, nothing changed for me except that I, you know, saw a friend move on to a different team and you have less contact with them, but obviously you still try and keep in touch. I'll just say this in closing. Last thing, you had a chance to live a dream that I think a lot of people can only imagine if you're a football fan. Life as a Dallas Cowboy, yeah. as a quarterback as a Dallas Cowboy. What was that experience like? Yeah, you know, I don't even know where to start. It almost <laughs> feels like it happened to someone else. Um, you know, I, you know, I would have liked to have been there a little bit longer, but I remember just going to the meeting room the first day, and you know, they all introduced themselves using their first names. You know, it's like, hi, I'm Tony. You're like, yeah, I know who you are. And so, you know, it was kind of surreal in a little bit because you know, I'm, I was a big fan of Tony Romo's just because yeah. he was an FCS quarterback, undrafted. And, and you know made it and those types of things so I was always a big fan of his and you know when I hear people bashing him I'm kind of one of the guys that comes to his defense a little bit and he's one of the smartest best players I've been around and then to, you know to learn from those guys and the main one for me was John Kitna he was there he actually was also coached by my college coach yeah. and uh, so he kind of took me under his wing they don't spend a ton of time coaching the the new undrafted rookie for agent quarterback but he was kind of like my coach and, and it was a great time and I got and the biggest thing was I got to play in a preseason game in front of 100,000 people in the Cowboys Stadium against my childhood team as the Oakland Raiders. And so, you know, I remember being behind center and, uh, you know, looking across the field. And I kind of thought to myself, like, holy cow, it's the Oakland Raiders across the field. And, and on, you know, it was definitely a dream come true. And, you know, I would have liked to have it last longer, but I definitely have some great memories from that. Right. Last question for you here before we wrap things up, but uh, I've been noticed your t Twitter timeline as well. Uh, you've uh, mentioned a few things with respect to fo following the U.S. presidential debate. We have a lot of American listeners south of the border. You, have you cast your vote yet, or are you planning to in time? Yeah, you know, I, uh, Kevin Gunn's been talking to me about being able to do an absentee ballot, and uh, you know, which is something I've never done before, but you know, honestly, you know, I haven't been too into it. I've been, you know, watching the few debates lately, just because, you know, it seems like everyone is, and you know, it's honestly tough to. It's crazy. Talk about. Yeah, it's crazy, and uh, you know, but I think that there's a clear person that actually seems mentally fit to lead, and, and um, you know, we'll see what happens. I guess. Very good political answer. Thanks so much for doing this, and uh, continued success uh, the rest of the way there, Matt. I appreciate it. Thank you, Matt Nichols, Bombers quarterback. I, I got to say this. Um, I loved your question, and I loved his defiant answer mm -hmm. with mm -hmm. the respect of yeah. being a game manager. I loved it too. I loved his answer. I loved his answer. That's great, it, and it's true. It's it's true. It's you know what you know what he's man he's he's managing he's managing wins, and that's uh, yeah. Hey, man, my famous saying: men lie, women lie, numbers don't. Good story, and a guy who pushed uh, the stamps right to the limit in Calgary just a few weeks ago, and so and we've been uh, hard on him. And I, I, yeah, I've been I've been hard on him, and I and I, yeah. and I thought that Drew was the guy, and I thought that it was a mistake to put him in there because he's he's really been a well, career. I think you just thought career, he was a short term solution. Yeah, I thought but. it was. A, you know, I thought he was a career uh, a career backup, and, and and you know what? Some people have been missing out because he's. Uh, He's got it. He's got it, and he does a he does and, a heck of a job. And there is they have as good a chance as anyone. And hey, a guy who lived a brief time, but had a chance to live life as a quarterback for the Dallas Cowboys. Hey, and there's not a lot of people no. who can say that's that they were that's as big th that time they as were a quarterback for America's team, and that's uh, that's a pretty cool experience. Uh, he is Davis Sanchez. You can find him at Davis Sanchez on Twitter. I'm James Sabalski. You can also find me on social media on Twitter. 
at James Sabalski. Be sure, if you're not subscribing already, you can subscribe to The Waggle on iTunes, and we deliver it right to your tablet, your smartphone, your computer each and every day. You're obviously finding us on CFL.ca and also on SoundCloud, so we thank you very much for taking the time to listen. Man, I'm, we, we will are we take done? The rest of the way. We are done, man. man. I'm so much fun talking. Man. Why we go? Let's extend the show another couple hours every day. I well, love this. You like, you like doing this. Well, man, I can tell I you this it. much. I think there, there is... Uh, discussions and it's in the works to see uh you'll be seeing much more of davis and uh and i a lot more as we get down to crunch time and the nitty-gritty of the cfl maybe they want to see us i don't know i don't know if they want to hear us i don't know if they want to see us that might be that might be pushing it they're pushing it listening to you as it is so good point hey guys (laughs) we'll see you guys next week thanks for joining us on the waggle he's james i'm davis so long. I'm gonna. I'll leave it at that because I think you say I've been sounding too much like a stripper voice. So you can say goodbye. Say bye, Davis. Bye, guys. <laughs>